In the summer of 1999, two teenage girls were shot in cold blood and stuffed into the trunk of a car in Ozark, Alabama. It's been 20 years, and the murders of Tracy Hollett and J.B. Beasley have never been solved. I'm Bobby Matthews, and you're listening to Season 1 of Death in Dixie. On the night of July 31st, Tracy and JB set out to attend a field party that some of their classmates had organized in Headland, a small town of about 3,800 people, just north of Dothan, where the girls lived. Now here's where things start to get kind of weird. You can get to Headland in a little more than 10 minutes from Northview High School, where Tracy and JB were rising seniors. But they never arrived. Instead, a little past 11.30 p.m., Tracy called her mother from a payphone beside a convenience store in Ozark, a small city about 30 to 40 minutes away from Dothan, to tell her that they'd gotten lost but had received directions and were on their way home. So how did the girls end up in Ozark? That's one of the consistent questions people ask when they talk about this case. But if you look at the three locations on a map, they form a triangle, with Ozark being the westernmost point. Headland is a few miles north of Dothan, and Dothan would be the southernmost point of the triangle. As you look at this map, there are only a couple of feasible ways the girls could have reached Ozark. They could have taken Highway 134 to US Highway 231, and driven west to Ozark. That's unlikely, because they'd know when they hit US-231. It's a major thoroughfare in Dothan. It is four-laned all the way from Montgomery through Troy, through Ozark, through Dothan, and goes all the way down to Panama City and the beaches there. In addition, their high school was located on Highway 231. They would absolutely have known where they were. There are two other options. Number one, they could have followed Alabama Highway 134 all the way to Ozark. That's a pretty direct route and would have gotten them there in about 35 minutes. However, there's another route that I think is more likely. Because they were looking for a field party. They were looking for a place that's fairly remote. And there's one trail that seems like it's the best uh, option. The girls would have taken Highway 134 and then found the smaller Highway 83. Made a right turn onto it and bent north going all the way over to Ozark to Broad Street where they stopped at a big little store. Now I feel like I have to address these stores. At that point in southeastern Alabama the big little convenience stores were ubiquitous. There was one in almost every town and sometimes in larger towns like Enterprise or Dothan there were multiple big little stores. However, this location on Broad Street in Ozark is a small store, 
set kind of catty-cornered from the road. And it's really the only puddle of commercial lights on Broad Street for several miles as the road goes past Carroll High School and then on into Skipperville. The last that we have heard of the girls was when Tracy made her phone call to her mother. We don't know who they interacted with after that. Stay tuned this season as we dig and try to find where more clues will lead. You can follow Death and Dixie on Twitter at Death and Dixie or on Facebook.com slash Death and Dixie. Please follow us, subscribe, rate, and review. We are on Apple Podcasts, as well as Stitcher and other platforms where you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. The story of Tracy Hollett and J.B. Beasley is a ghost story. As I began researching their murders, I was like everyone else. I wanted answers. Instead, all I'm finding are more questions. On the last day of July 1999, the two friends were headed to a party. It was the height of summer in southeastern Alabama, and the girls, both 17 and rising seniors at Northview High School, just wanted to hang out with their friends. But they never arrived. Instead, the next day, police found the bodies of the two girls stuffed into the trunk of JB's 1993 Mazda 929. Each of them had been shot once in the head. It's been 20 years, and their killer has never been found. You're listening to Season 1 of Death in Dixie, The Murders of Tracy Hollett and JB Beasley. I'm your host, Bobby Matthews. As I began to dig into this case, some names came back to me, and one of the most interesting is Johnny William Barentine, who remains the only person ever charged in the murders of Tracy and JB. And in fact, we have to do a little bit of kind of very pointed commentary here. He technically was not charged, He was arrested for their murders. However, a grand jury that was impaneled to look into the case refused to indict him. Now, Barentine is an odd character in this story. He was 28 years old at the time of the murders, and on the night that Tracy and JB were killed, He was gone from his home for two hours. He had told his wife that he was planning on going to a convenience store to do like a quick milk run or something like that. And instead, he's gone and unaccounted for with no alibi during the time frame when the girls are murdered. In addition, upon being questioned by police, he gave 
the authorities six different stories, including that he had witnessed the person who killed Tracy and JB. Now, this led to Ozark police making the arrest and bringing charges before a grand jury. Well, there's a saying in law enforcement that a good prosecutor can get a ham sandwich indicted. And because I am a former cops and courts reporter uh, down in that area, I can tell you that the prosecutors in southeastern Alabama are usually pretty good. So it's kind of surprising that the case against Barentine was not stronger. So just a few months after he had initially been arrested, Barentine walked free and never faced charges for this crime again. But that's not the only odd thing. As I began to dig into this case, I wanted to reach out to Barentine to see if he would talk to me, to see if he could shed some light on exactly what he had been doing that evening, exactly why police thought he might have been the man who murdered Tracy and JB. I wanted to give him a chance to come clean or to clear his name. But in the process of attempting to reach him, I discovered that he has been reported deceased. Now, the dates of his death that I have found online, and they are very few and very far between. The dates vary between 2014 and 2015. However, those are circumstantial reports at best. There is no obituary, no death notice. Now, you can Google uh, Johnny William Barentine and obituary, or Johnny William Barentine and death notice, and nothing comes up. His death would have been notable to media in southeastern Alabama if for no other reason than he was, at one time, the prime suspect in the deaths of Tracy and JB. So now I have to go find a death certificate. And the way that I'll do that is I will check in the Montgomery Vital Records Office because I want to find out exactly when he died and what the cause of death was. However, the strange case of Johnny William Barentine is not the only weird uh, turn this case takes. There are questions all over the place. So many questions. Was it a stranger? Was it someone who knew the girls? Or was it a cop? That's a question that you have to ask. There's circumstantial evidence. JB's driver's license was out of her wallet and on 
the dash of her car as though she might have been stopped and had to provide her license and registration to a police officer. But then there's also this. In November 2015, an Ozark Reserve police officer slash dispatcher named Rena Crum came forward with allegations that the Ozark police were actively covering up for the murderer of Tracy and JB. Ms. Crum went to a blog called the Henry County Report and named names. She said that a former Ozark police officer who was now employed by a different county's law enforcement was the person who killed Tracy and JB. Now, that opened up a hell of a can of worms, as you might expect. She was sued by multiple deputies and police officers in southeastern Alabama, specifically in Ozark and, I believe, Henry County. And the blog where she made her allegations no longer exists. Now it's just a placeholder for legal news. And, unsurprisingly, Crum no longer works for the Ozark Police Department. During this season of Death and Dixie, I'll be using police records. I will be using court filings. I will be using one-on-one interviews to dig deeper into this case than anyone has before. I know that I'm chasing ghosts. These are questions that have lingered for years with no good answers. But I have to believe that somewhere out there, someone knows something. What I can't forget, what I won't allow myself to forget, is that these two young women were not just victims. They were people young women who had their lives ahead of them and who were tragically cut down before they ever even got started really living. This is our last teaser episode. The original reporting for Death in Dixie, Season 1, will begin later this spring. My name is Bobby Matthews. Thank you for listening. You can catch Death and Dixie on Facebook as well as Twitter at Death and Dixie. And if you want to drop us a line, you can reach me directly at Gmail, deathanddixie at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and wish us luck as we pursue this 20-year-old cold case.